Welcome to the Abundant Grace Podcast, where we discuss the gospel, freedom in Christ, and victorious Christianity. My name is Emily Lewis, and I am so honored that you are here. Sometimes Christianity can feel complicated or become heavy. I'm here to lighten that load. I pray that the chats had on this broadcast will empower and encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Hi there, friends. I today would love to share some resources with you. I've been reading some more books and I just love to share them because I think they're so valuable. A friend of mine recently said that when I'm talking, I ooze grace. And it was such a compliment to me because if you've heard my story, uh, you know that I was quite the good little legalist and really denied God's grace and didn't understand his grace in my life. And one of the huge things that I can attribute to why uh, grace is coming out of me, I guess, if you can say that, or something that means so much to me is because of the resources that God has landed in my lap. Like I've told this story before, the first time that I heard about grace in the gospel being for everyday life, I was curious, but I didn't think that the person talking had much credibility that they hadn't like moved on from the gospel. But since then, of course, God has been so faithful to bring resources my way. Uh, so I like to share some of those with you today. It's really fun to find even more books and uh, get a bath in grace. Like every time you pick up a book, uh, it's just really good. So of course, the first one that I talk about a lot is Real Christianity by Carrie Schmidt. And this really started to wake me up to the gospel and expose me to what I had been thinking. Like without realizing it, I was downplaying grace. Like he gives a couple of examples in the book where we act like we bring like 99% to the table and then Jesus on the cross, what he's done for us is like 1%. Or we think that we move on from the gospel and that God somehow then needs us to grace him with our service or something, but it's totally not that, but that's how I used to relate to God. And then this book just totally challenged absolutely everything that I had been believing about relating to God. So I want to read a couple of quotes to you for fun. So he says, I have all of his capacity to love. It's all mine. It's all yours already. This is critical. Nothing motivates, stirs, and compels me more to worship and serve my Savior than the fact that he loves me in spite of me. We know we're unworthy, but then we turn around and like try to make ourselves like, well, I'm worth it, or um, I'm good enough. And justifying that when the basis of his love is that we aren't enough and we don't have enough and he loves me in spite of me, not because I'm so amazing. He loves me with my weaknesses. And that's what's so incredible about his love and his grace is it truly is like you, 
you know, you've heard the definition unmerited favor. It really is that it's not something that we're trying to earn to stay in fellowship with him or, well, I guess I always have to be careful when I say that because we can damage the fellowship, but uh, we're not trying to stay in good God's good graces, kind of the opposite of grace. So I want to read this other quote to you. It says, Jesus doesn't need your grace. You need his. But somehow after salvation, we take matters into our own hands and start living like we believe we can grace God with our favors, our goodness, our righteousness. We treat salvation like a steroid that made us able to get it done for him. In reality, salvation is not a modest power boost. It's a total rescue from absolute destitution and utter helplessness. Just love that. Uh, And I'll read one more quote out of this book for you. He desires for you to be absolutely comfortable coming completely clean with him in total transparency and confession. He already knows the truth. He already paid for the failure. He has removed every obstacle to closeness with him except your will. He already knows who we are. And because of that, We don't have to fake it. We can be totally real with him. And he wants us to be like, this is how I'm feeling today. Um, Pastor Kerry recently said it in one of his messages out of Psalm 88, talking about winter seasons of our life and how the author of Psalm 88, Haman, is just having a bad attitude. And God, you've deserted me. You've removed all my friends from me. And saying things that actually aren't true, but pastor Kerry posed it the question this way. He says, does your theology have room for bad attitude faith? Because God has room for bad attitude faith. So we can have room for that, bring it to him, be open with him. And we can just be completely blunt and open um, because he already knows who we are. And that's the beauty of his love for us. And then this book, I actually just read it in December. Uh, This is Gospel by J.D. Greer. And I really love the gospel-centered resources that he's put out. I just started reading his stuff last year. This goes into like a breakdown of that's similar to real Christianity, breaking down the gospel and how it applies to our everyday life and how we can walk out grace. I'm just going to read the prayer that he talks about in here and how he, in each chapter, he kind of breaks down this prayer and expands on it. Um, But it's such a valuable prayer if you let it sink in. And this is something that I'd like to start doing more. He suggests praying it every day. And he says, I don't remember how many years he says that he's been reading it or praying it. And he's finally starting to believe it. So I'm just going to read it for you. In Christ, there is nothing I can do that would make you love me more and nothing I have done that makes you love me less. Your presence and approval are all I need for everlasting joy. As you have been to me, so I will be to others. As I pray, I'll measure your compassion by the cross and your power by the resurrection. It's just such a, a beautiful prayer, so powerful. Uh, that we're 
like that line, as you have been to me, so I will be to others because of the gospel. I will serve and I will give, and I will share the gospel with others and, um, advocate for justice and all those things, loving people well, because of how love, how well we're loved, like speaking that out every day. So good. Uh, and your presence and approval are all I need for everlasting joy. Like we're not seeking it from somewhere else. We're getting that from him because he's fully accepted us anyway. Like that first paragraph, like we aren't doing anything to earn his love and we're not afraid of losing it because we're just that secure. And then we can measure, uh, his compassion by the love that he showed us on the cross and his power by him conquering sin and death in the resurrection. Like how much power, more power can we have in our prayer life when we approach things from that perspective? Hi there, friends. Did you hear the Trinity course is here? Three-dimensional, how to grow your relationship with each member of the Trinity. I'm so excited to get this resource into your hands. A deeper, more fulfilling relationship with God is available. So in this course, I unpack the three most common misconceptions that we have about each member of the Trinity so that we can take a good look at how we are relating to God and make adjustments where necessary. It is designed for you to be able to take action right away with recordings and worksheets, with verses, affirmations, and some journal prompts to take next steps forward, whatever that looks like for you. So if you're thinking, wow, I really haven't ever thought about my relationship with the Holy Spirit, or maybe I've never cultivated a personal relationship with God the Father, or I've never really considered relating to Jesus himself, this course is for you. So excited to have this resource available to you so that you can get past anything that's holding you back in your relationship with God. An abundant, intimate relationship is so available with each member of the Trinity which is why I want to pass on the things that I have learned about my relationship with God, the father, Jesus, and God, the Holy spirit. I can't wait to see you in there. And the next one is one that I just recently read and it is the imperfect disciple by Jared Wilson. And it's the tagline is grace for people who can't get their act together. So when we feel like Paul in Romans, when he says that I would, I do not. And that, that I don't want to do, I do. And we just feel that tension between, I feel like I can't get it together and I'm not measuring up to this standard that I have or this scorecard that I'm trying to measure my Christianity by like, that's not, uh, how it works. But for those of us who feel like we can't make it happen, or I feel like as I've been reading it, uh, for when we do feel like we have it all together, it's such a good reminder that we don't because it's tempting to feel like I got it. Like even after moving away from the checklist more and more, it's easy to get into the place where I fall back into, well, I did this today, did that today. I feel like, you know, super accomplished. Like a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, uh, recording, 
being a recovering achiever. Like just, it's hard to get over that. So this is a good reminder for me that I am, don't have it all together and I'm fully resting in Jesus. And then he goes into, uh, how to be a disciple and follow Jesus without that standard of trying to measure, um, yourself by it. And then this one prodigal God by Timothy Keller is a short book and really, I think important for us to be reading as like the big C church, the tagline on this one is recovering the heart of the Christian faith. And that's what I got from it, uh, was recovering relationship with the father. Cause we know that we are either the older son or the younger son, but sometimes that story, the prodigal son is kind of misrepresented. And what he tries to unpack in this book, uh, prodigal God is his first chapter on what does the word prodigal mean? It means reckless and uh, lavishly spending because God is the one that God, the father in that story is the one that offers his love so freely and abundantly to his younger son who ran away. And then also to the older son who I relate to a lot more is he was in the father's house, but he was lacking the relationship with the father. And he redefines lostness in one of these chapters and goes into that separation. The younger son actually repaired his relationship with God where the older son it didn't in the story. And I'm thankful, so grateful that God allowed me to repair that relationship with him because it looks like it's a whole lot harder for a proud older, the older son in the story to repair that because we're so reliant on what we're doing for God to account towards a relationship. Like remember the older son in the story, it's like, but I've been with you this whole time and you didn't throw me a party. It's like, you didn't, you didn't appreciate what I was doing for you. And he was working to gain his father's approval or relationship with him when he had access to it the whole time. So highly recommend this one. And then the last one, accidental Pharisees by Larry Osborne. I feel like this one could be described as just when you figure out or feel like you've figured out how to get a handle on God's grace and his love and unconditional love or, or being gospel centered, like just when you feel like you've got a little bit handled that you, maybe you've recovered from some legalism, maybe you come out of an unhealthy church situation and you feel a little bit better than which is so ironic, isn't it? It's the grace that we have been given to even have our eyes open and understand the gospel and his salvation, and then to somehow take credit for it. It's so easy to do. So my, the, my favorite chapters in this were on pride and they weren't totally fun to read, but it was uh, very important just to remember. So I'm going to read actually, I think a pretty good couple of paragraphs. I think it's super valuable. We think we're seeing things as they really are. We think the people we look down on really are beneath us. 
to keep from falling into that trap, I try to regularly ask myself if there is any group of people or Christians for whom I am developing a knee-jerk response of disgust, disdain, or aversion. If the answer is yes, it's an early warning sign that I'm headed down the path of arrogance. So here's a question you might want to ask yourself. Do I have my own, thank God I'm not like them list? And if so, who's on it? If you're passionate about justice, the needs of the poor and orphans, you probably struggle with people who aren't. Your temptation will be to write them off as uninformed, selfish, or cold-hearted. Don't fall for it. If you live green, care for the planet, recycle, and ride your bike to work, you'll be tempted to look down on those who don't. If you spend more time than most thinking deeply about theology, reading books written by dead guys, and do your Bible study in the original Hebrew and Greek, you'll be sorely tempted to look down on those who think the last book in the Bible is called Revelations and on those who think the old, the last book in the Old Testament was written by an Italian prophet named Malachi. The same goes if you identify yourself as spirit-led, missional, incarnational, gospel-centered, or some other current Christian buzzword. You'll find it hard not to look down on those who don't even know there's a buzzword to conform to. I have no idea what tempts you to feel superior. I have no idea what kind of people you're tempted to look down on, but most of us have a list or at least the beginnings of a list. And most of us have no idea how dangerous that list is. If left in place, it can nullify all the good that we do. It can put us at the top of God's, I hate it when you do that list. So if you have one, destroy it. Don't just put it in don't just put it aside in a drawer somewhere. Burn it, nuke it. You'll be glad you did. And so will your Lord. So I think that's just a good way to wrap this up. These are amazing resources. I will uh, write them out in the description of the video so you can easily go check them out. Uh, they've just been hugely life-changing to the way that I view Christianity and my relationship with God. Cause when it's truly based on grace, um, a lot of other stuff doesn't, doesn't matter anymore. And then we can go forward and learn to learn what it looks like for us to be in a loving relationship with our father. And then out of that, what does it look like for me to be loving others? So I hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Abundant Grace Podcast. I would love it if you would share this episode with a friend so that they can hear this encouragement and be empowered in their walk with Jesus as well. It would also mean the world to me if you would leave a rating and review on Apple for the Abundant Grace Podcast. It really does make a world of difference in getting this podcast into other people's ears so they can be equipped in their relationship with God as well. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on this week's episode. You can find me hanging out on Instagram, emily.abundantgrace, or you can send me an email, hello at emilyklewis.com. That's emily, the letter K, L-O-U-I-S.com. And until next week, remember that God's grace abounds and won't ever run out.